Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Monday, March the 22nd, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Well, welcome to another edition of the program and I hate to be somewhat of I told you so because nobody likes those kind of people but did I not say just two short weeks ago that Carlos Carrasco was no short thing and Marcus Stroman needs to be great and you know that whole fifth starter competition uh, we need to see these guys because all three of those guys are going to be important at some point in this season as you always need Always was told many, many years ago, you need 10 starters to get through the season. Six, seven, and eight are playing out right in front of us. It's still to be determined how deep the Mets are and how can they go into nine and 10. We know Syndergaard is one, but here we are. And uh, the first Thunderbolt of the 2021 season, and those are what we call them here, Thunderbolts, the old winner within Pat Riley. Uh, the first Thunderbolt for this team has occurred as Carlos Carrasco tears his hamstring uh, there's some optimism that he'll be back by Memorial Day, if not sooner. But let's face it, you're going to be looking at five, six you know, turns around the rotation, maybe, maybe more. And the thing about this kind of injury is that you don't want to rush it because the, the last thing you want is him to re-injure it again. Or worse, he compromises himself and then he tries to change his delivery, hurts his shoulder, hurts his elbow, and away you go. So, hate to be the I told you so, but here we are very quickly after that program and we're faced with, you know, where do the Mets go next with that rotation? Joining us in just a little bit to help us through that and some of the other things going on, uh, he just came back to New York. He's been down in Port St. Lucie. We're going to be doing somewhat of a grapefruit roundup as Justin Toscano will tell us what the theme is over there in Port St. Lucie. How are things down at the complex? What's the feeling around the team? Justin Toscano is our our buddy from the record, Mets beat reporter. He always uh, is kind enough to give us time. So I uh, figured I'd bring him in, as I said, and, and we start to really see, once you hit St. Patty's Day, you really see the light at the end of the tunnel in spring training. Spring training is long, 
uh, even though I feel like the days fly by, especially after the clock changes. Uh, but but spring training has that longness to it where you start to get into that rut. And it happened a little earlier this year because I think there was so few positional battles. But you know now that we've gotten over that St. Paddy's Day hump, before you know it, it'll be opening day, and then we'll get into the grind of the season, and then the daily day-in and day-out competition begins. So he'll join us on that. But you know where are we at as we talk about Carrasco? And what I found interesting this week is that the way that I saw this all playing out, the starting situation, and when I, I built it out, when I started really looking at the rosters two weeks ago, I built it out in a way where one of those guys who lost the competition was, or or both of them potentially, was going down to AAA. They were going to go down to Syracuse. They were going to re- stretch themselves out and be ready for the event like that we see what happens, which is starter going down, doubleheader, whatever. That's not going to be the case. Now you're hearing that Peterson is solidly in as the fourth starter. So I, I guess, and, and I said this again, Mets are looking at this differently than you and I. We're not seeing a lot of games this spring. There's not a lot of televised games, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, they're seeing simulated action. They have... Uh, technology and and ways of looking at the stuff that indicates from the process that these guys go out there and employ who would be the best measure of success you're hoping you're hoping with all the new things that are out there uh, that the Mets now have money to afford that they're putting these things in place Zach Scott coming from another organization a very successful organization using some of those same methods to help determine hey you know, what do we have here? It can't just be MLB.com and stats in spring training where both hitters and pitchers are working on things. You know, just because you get a scoreless inning, that's not the same intensity. That's not the same scoreless inning that you're going to have to get in just two short weeks. So with Peterson as the number four, it really looks like it's down to Luke Casey, who has the experience, versus Yamamoto, who has a, had a strong spring and has some cachet as a former top 10 prospect. But here's another thing, and this is the part that I really don't like when I really you know, go into building a rotation. You're hearing about some of this opener, piggybacking, and some of the stuff that the Mets really have never done. And they had to do it to a certain degree. I know Chasen Shreve was kind of that multi-inning guy that came in last year. They almost had to go into piggybacking unintentionally because they didn't have enough pitching last year. And a guy like Shreve would have to come in for a Corey Oswald, mainly because they couldn't get through the the order maybe more than once. And will they do that now? And, and who would be uh, the best candidate? What I worry a little bit about that scenario is that as you start to go to these two or three inning starts, where the, whether it's Yamamoto starting and then Luke Casey coming in, you're really not building either one of those guys up for normal rotation work. And I think that's important. I think you have guys here that you brought in that have some ability to be a very solid back end of the rotation starter. That's not what you're looking to replace here with Carrasco. You're losing your number three. You're losing a guy who might be your number two. So I think it's important, I'll stand by, the loser of that competition, which right now looks like it's going to come down to those two guys short of something drastically different happening. David Peterson solidly in the number four. It's going to be Lucasio Yamamoto. At this point, Lucchese, because of his experience, because he's done it, I have to think he's the guy. And I think Yamamoto is ticketed for AAA. Uh, but we'll see. And then at that point, you have Montgomery that probably makes the club now. You keep hearing all these great things about Jacob Barnes. He has no options. I have to think he makes the club. So really the what it comes down to is you have your... This is your opening day situation. You have your DeGrom, Stroman, Walker, Peterson, Lucchese in the rotation. Diaz, May, Castro, Loop, Familia, Batances. We'll get to those guys in a minute. And then out of the remaining, and I'm assuming they're only going to go 13 uh, 13 pitchers. And it's ridiculous to go more and then have, I mean, who would you send down? Almore? Oh, excuse me. Almore. Almora? Uh, You know, you have VR, PR. uh, VR, Guillerme, Nito. Uh, Kevin P- Pilar, PR, Pilar. I got that little Spanish thing going, and and I don't think you really have any opportunity to send anybody down. So really, it comes down to Lucchese versus Yamamoto. I know there's some thought that both will make it, and then we'll have some kind of piggybacking scenario. I don't see that uh, unless uh, all this talk about Jacob Barnes, who does not have a an option from what I see. 
uh, is all hot, hot air. So there, there's where you are with that. This even, and I always talk about this being important for Strowman, because now you really need Strowman to be great. And that's even more so now. Until Memorial Day, maybe later, the Mets are going to rely on a tandem of DeGrom and Strowman. I know you have Taiwan Walker. I know he's looked pretty good this spring, but Taiwan Walker has not pitched a lot in the last couple of years. So you're relying on a rotation that out of the three of the five spots, you have a guy, Peterson, that was pretty good last year, but could be spotty and has to dance in and out of trouble. A guy in Walker who's pitched very little in the last two or three years. Uh, a couple of young arms, Locasi and Yamamoto, that have some potential, but their upside is maybe mid-rotation upside. Probably more guys that are going to profile throughout their careers as four and five. Yamamoto might have a little bit more potential, depending on how you look at it. Uh, you know, some feel I've read that he could be, uh, you know, even both he and Lucchese could be two and a half war guys. Those are kind of mid-rotation guys, maybe guys that start to creep up. And then you look over in Toronto, and Stephen Matz is having a great spring. And then you say to yourself, yeah, they got all that depth, all those assets, but wouldn't it be nice to have Steven Matz in this rotation, who you know what you can get, even though he's been bad at times. Um, he was really turning the corner under this, uh, you know, not with this pitching coach, uh, uh, but he was turning the corner back in 2019, and, and you're hoping that that could continue, and, and, and that's not going to happen. So you really are relying on the Mets being right here. You're being, uh, when they signed Stroman, and they didn't go out in the market, they were really relying on him to be the number two type guy because at that point you didn't have Carrasco. When they went out and got depth, these are the guys they selected. They traded for Lucchese. They were able to grab Yamamoto, who was designated for assignment um, from Miami. And now David Peterson, who was so important last year, was thrown into this. But now is even more, you're not asking for the same level of performance because last year he was really your number two. You're asking him to really go in, grab that four spot, and not just give you four or five innings, but you want a guy who could go six innings, three runs, you know, maybe a little bit better, maybe get you into the seventh, because who knows what you're going to get any kind of way with that number five. Now, I think Lucchese is a little underrated, and I think Lucchese is going to do better than people think, because he's already done that. Uh, but it'll be really interesting, because this could spiral really quick. You could be in a situation, two, two and a half weeks into the season, where there'll be tons of frustration, where... You know, the Mets are, are, you know, they have DeGrom. You know, let's say Stroman's okay. But then the other three times through the rotation, it's a dicey scenario. And you have, you know, offense has to carry them a lot, an overworked bullpen. You hope that that's not the case. But this really can turn into that quick. And that's what gets it to me into my second point here is everybody's complaining about Familia and Batances. And let me tell you, both of them are, are, are very spotty guys. You have your, until Lugo comes back, you have your Diaz, May, Castro, 789. Castro might be the biggest surprise of the spring. A guy they acquired late last year wasn't terrible, but again, fits the profile of what I complain about. Throws hard, walks a lot of guys, uh, kind of a sweaty guy to bring in in a big spot. Don't know what you're going to get. You know, it could be lights out one batter and then loses it, or, you know, lights out one outing and then loses it right after. And. Um, what it really comes down to is when you start getting into these early relief outings, Familia and Batances are going to be important, are going to be hugely important. Familia, you keep hearing he has the stuff, but he has no command. He has no control. You've heard that time and time and time again. I don't think that's going to change. You know, the one thing about Familia coming back is you didn't expect him to be a dominant closer. But at this point, it's amazing how from when he was traded, when he was having a really good 2018, was traded to Oakland, had some success in Oakland. Since he's come back, he's had no ability to navigate uh, you know, consistently any of his uh, command of his pitches. Uh, you have outings where he just can't throw strikes. He can throw hard, it moves. He's nowhere near the same pitcher he was. I, I keep comparing him to Jose Mesa. How Jose Mesa was this great closer, had some tough spots in the big, big you know, postseason situation. Was always a guy that got a job later in his career, but never was the same. Was a bit of the kerosene on the fire. Batances, who I was so excited about when Brody Van Wagen and you know he had that great Christmas Eve Christmas present, doesn't look like a big league pitcher. And you know, a guy that has again no command, walks a lot of guys, but even worse, at least Familia 
might be able to navigate through those things with velocity. Uh, you're talking about guy throwing 89, 90, 91. I know we may be getting up into the mid-90s, but you know, just because you touched 94 on a radar gun, you got to do it consistently. And let's face it, Baton says with no velocity is a much different pitcher. Uh, you could you could you could lay back a little bit more with a guy like that. You don't have to worry about him blowing you away. The the movement that velocity sometimes creates, all that goes away. So you're now going to rely on these two guys. And I know I saw some chatter on Twitter, people saying, "Well, why don't the Mets show that you know money doesn't matter and release these guys?" I, I don't see that as even uh, remotely something I would do right now, unless you really feel. And you have to be honest. The talent evaluators on this team have to be honest. If Baton says, like the media says, and, and like myself, and again, we're not watching enough of this because we're going through box scores, through reports. It's a very tough situation when you really don't have the kind of, um, you know, we're not scouts by trade either, any of us here, unless there's a few scouts in the audience. But you're not watching them. You're just looking at results. So we don't see the process. We don't see what goes in. So unless there's someone on that on that staff that says this is no longer a big league pitcher, Batances is no longer a guy that could get big league hitters out, then you release him. You got to give him a try. Their names are going to necessitate them going in the season and giving it a try. And that's where early on, and I always say this with a, a baseball season, you have that kind of like period where you're trying to figure it out. Yeah, you have spring training, but you sometimes in April start to see how things evolve. And that's where teams get off to rough starts or how a team begins, not how they end. And uh, sometimes, you know, some of the biggest lies about a team happen in April and in September. Because in April, you get off to either a bad or good start because you're trying to figure stuff out, trying to figure out roles, trying to figure out where things go. Or in September, when everybody's out of it, you'll see guys come up and play well. And then, you know, they're, they're somewhat of a mirage. So I think Familia and Batances get a chance to really prove themselves. I think you can see... I would not be surprised if one or both gets released sometime this season. Let me tell you that. I'll throw you that hot take. I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if one or both, if they struggle, gets released at sometimes at this season. Especially if somebody down in the uh, the farm starts to evolve as a good arm. Uh, the Drew Smith uh, situation now his shoulders hurting. This guy that's had a lot of potential. A guy they got from Tampa. Uh, you know that's never a good sign when you have a shoulder injury. Shoulders a guy just came back from Tommy John. Now he's got a shoulder issue. So. Uh, you know, that's something to look out for. So there you go with that. So you have a couple of things that early in the season are really going to be worth looking at. These are not just spring training issues. How the rotation is going to navigate till Memorial Day or thereabouts with three guys that have pitched, either have very little experience or have pitched very little in the last couple of years. Two guys in the bullpen, big names, former stars that have struggled the last couple of years. How are they going to help out and, you know, are they on the clock very quickly? Could you see a situation where first two weeks into the season, back end of the rotation struggles, maybe the offense carries the load in some of those games, sixth inning comes trying to get this to Castro, May, Diaz. No Lugo yet because Lugo's out probably till May. And Batances or Familia has a bad sixth inning. And then the real talk is going to be, well, they don't have enough pitching, bullpen's not deep enough, and away you go. I can see that. I, I have my my vision in front of me. And, I, you know, we'll see how they navigate that. I think Louis Rojas, who has a bit to prove how he's going to put those guys, Batances and Familia, into positions of success. Again, I don't see the process. But me, neither one of those guys is ready for high leverage situations. I think you got to see when that sixth inning comes around or when that spot comes around, are they way behind? Are they way ahead? What part of the lineup? I mean, you want to put Batances or Familia into the heat of, you know, Freddie Freeman, Marcelo Zuna. You want to give him that part of the lineup? It's not fair. It's not fair. You've got it. That's what your high leverage relievers are. So it's not just about inning. It's not just about how they can get to seven, eight, nine. It's what part of the order are these guys going to be asked to go after? And right now, I don't see them as high leverage in terms of the high leverage spot in terms of game score or high leverage in terms of elite hitters in the middle of the lineup. I could be wrong, and I hope I'm wrong because if those guys, one or both of those guys, I'm not asking for them to be who they were, but if they're anywhere close to good. It really lengthens this bullpen. A bullpen that will be, if those, if Castro, May, and Diaz pitch 
like they've been pitching in the spring and like we hope they can pitch, especially Castro. He might be one of the biggest surprises. And yeah, you got Lupin to be the situational lefty. Okay. And then you add Lugo to that, and you have some kind of contribution in earlier innings from a familiar Batances. You've got a really good bullpen, and you could always add to that. So that'll be interesting. So those are the two things I think that we'll see throughout the rest of the spring into early regular season, things to watch and things that will be early storylines. Because I think the offense will be fine, short of a major injuries or you know, Pete Alonso being a mirage or one of the big hitters, Dom Smith, McNeil, getting off to an awful start or showing some signs of some kind of regression. I, I think the offense will be fine. I've been saying that the offense was fine last year. It's these pitching scenarios that have been that underlying, if you want to say, concern that we were hoping against. And really, when you talk about Thunderbolt here with Carrasco, your first real Thunderbolt was when you lost out on Trevor Bauer. Because if you have Trevor Bauer in this rotation now, not as big of a deal when Carrasco goes down. Still a big deal. But you went from Bauer, elite, potentially a Cy Young candidate, down to Taiwan Walker. Potential pretty good to be a mid-rotation guy, but he's never going to be a top-of-the-rotation guy. And I know everybody was happy because of the mean tweets and all that stuff, but guess what? You take a few mean tweets for a better, more secure starting rotation right now. I just don't, and I keep saying this, I don't dislike Carlos Carrasco, and this is nowhere near as serious, of course, as his cancer scare from a couple of years ago. But he's a guy that is a risk. And, you know, you're putting a lot on Strowman, and you're putting a lot on guys that still have a lot to prove from the 6, 7, 8. And we haven't even got into, you really don't know who 9 and 10 are in terms of starting rotation depth. You're hoping on Syndergaard, uh, and, and we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Now, finally, before we wrap up here and get to Justin Toscano, there is some simmering of news about contract extensions for Lindor and Conforto. And I'm going to give you my thoughts. You guys know how I feel. I have no problem with them signing either one of these guys to extensions. I really don't. Because uh, I think Conforto is a solid offensive player. He's a good guy. He's been here. He knows this market. I, I told you, you know, short of that... MVP season by Bryce Harper. He's every bit the offensive player, comparably to Bryce Harper. Uh, and I think there's some nostalgia there from this uh, front office, especially with Sandy Alderson specifically, because he drafted him. So I think that that plays into having that guy that's been here that knows this market that's had success here. Now, Lindor is another situation. Yeah, you're going to have tons of competition, and now all of a sudden the media is scaring us about, well, the Yankees really like him, and the Mets could get into a Mets-Yankees bidding war come the offseason, Lindor, I, I still feel like for both parties, unless they get exactly what they want, I don't see Lindor signing for any less than what he thinks he could get. I don't see the Mets just writing a check and being irresponsible to sign him at any cost. That's why hearing reports from John Heyman that the Mets are motivated to get over $300 million, is that all this is about, the number three at the total value of the contract? Is that really what it's all about. I have a hard time believing that. I'll give you 10 years or 11 years or 12 years, but I make it $300 million and your AAV falls below a certain level. Is that all it's really about? Is it about the years? Is it about the AAV? We don't know. We really don't know what he wants. Um, and you know what's out there with Fernando Tatis, different situation, buying at arbitration years much younger. But to me, what I'm curious to see, the Mets are about potentially spending a half billion dollars and committing to an f- offensive foundation of Lindor and Conforto. And I think Conforto, in a lot of ways, you kind of know, signing him now is in, in, is in the Mets' benefit because once you get to free agency with Boris, if he has a big, big year, we're talking, I don't think Conforto uh, is, the, the small sample you saw in the pandemic shortened season, he was very good. I think that if you spread that out over a full normal season, you're looking at a guy who's going to hit 30 home runs, driving 100 runs, hit about 260, um, you know, 125, 130 OPS plus, really good. Not the guy that could be maybe inching towards an MVP conversation. Now, that's more what you saw in the small sample size. I'm not sure that's Conforto. He's a very solid player. So signing him now versus getting it into free agency where somebody may say, hmm, 
they may value him a little bit more. And then all of a sudden it gets into a crazy bidding war. And now you have to overpay. It's almost in the Mets' best interest right now. Lindor, there is shortstop inventory. We still have to see what he's all about. Looks good. You know, grand slam, hitting home runs, great personality, plays an elite. You know, he could clearly play defense. Again, didn't see a ton of games this spring because they're not televised. But what you see, you know the guy could play the position. But do you want to go out and marry him this quickly at an overpay? Mets already went below $300 million, so they're negotiating, and that's what Sandy Alderson's all about. He's, he's a pretty good negotiator. He's a hardliner. And, uh, you know, is Lindor, who could go out there, have this big season, and then maybe stand out so much from all these other shortstops, Sager and, and um, Baez and, and, and whatever, whoever else, you know, Trevor Story, who I think is probably better than Lindor, but, you know, we'll see. But anyway... Um, will 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 he be motivated to sign this before open day? It's be really interesting. And then once those guys are signed, that's your offensive foundation, and everybody else is going to bounce off. You're not going to do another three hundred million dollar contract. So if Pete Alonso becomes this huge star, be interesting how they handle that. Jeff McNeil could become a really good hitter, and all of a sudden, you know, in a couple of years, the conversation could be big contract for him. Brandon Nimmo offensive guy that that you know may start to get some really if he has a big offensive year as he starts to head towards his free agency years you know what do they pay him so you have to make sure you get this right because if you overpay for either one of these guys Steve Cohen's wallet's not endless and there has to be flexibility on this roster you got to make sure you're right are the Mets right well seems like they're ready to to say they are they've based this off of a short interaction spring training action and, uh, you know, with Conforto, maybe you could get them now and it could be more of a value in terms of where you want him to be versus free agency. I get that. Lindor is interesting because if you have to overpay now, there has to be some, you know, again, if I'm looking at this objectively, if I'm the Mets, I got to get something to sign you before opening day. If I'm Lindor, do I even want to give that? Do I need that? Do I, do I want to sign now? Because he's got to learn about the city. He's got to learn about the team. It's really interesting that this could get done before opening day because I'm not sure it's in either side's interest to get it done. When you look at it from a business standpoint, the Mets don't know really what they're truly getting and why would Lindor want to pass up the opportunity? More for Lindor, pass up the opportunity to go out there and see what he's worth. So anyway, let's take a quick break. Let's step back. When we come back, Justin Toscano of The Record is going to join us. He was down in Port St. Lucie. He's taking a little breather before opening day. Came back to New York. I want to get his thoughts, see how things are down there. We'll see what he thinks about this team and some of the topics we brought up here in the open. So sit back, relax, and when we come back, Justin Toscano of The Record, right after this. Hey, Mets fans. So got some feedback that you guys didn't all like the Manscaped commercials. Some people actually bought some stuff and... They gave me some great feedback, but I, you know, I try to take feedback seriously from you, the fans. So guess what? We have a commitment and we live up to our commitments here at the Talking Mets podcast, but I want to make this ad more inclusive for all of us. So our sponsors at Manscaped are the global leaders in below the waist grooming. So that's it. You go to manscaped.com. It'll tell you more about it. Check out the perfect package 3.0. That's where we're at. Right now at the Talking Mets Podcast, we're, we're encouraging you to get the perfect package 3.0. You use the code TALKINGMETS, no G, at checkout and get 20% off and free shipping. Listen, shipping costs are really expensive right now. You must all see that with something you're buying. And why not get free shipping? Why not get the discount? If you're into below-the-waist grooming, great. If you're not, skip through this. Don't worry about it. So no play on words. No funny Pete Alonzo, Marcus Stroman, Jacob DeGrom, play on words. I just want you to go, if you choose, to manscaped.com, check out the Perfect Package 3.0, read about all their great products, and then at checkout after you buy stuff, because I think you'll you'll like it. And use the code TALKINGMETS, all one word, no G, to get 20% off and free shipping. So that's our sponsor for spring training. I hope you enjoy going to manscaped.com if you choose. Use the code, get the free shipping, great grooming tools, first-in-class MVP-level grooming tools over at manscaped.com. Now, back to talking Mets baseball. Welcome 
We're back and joining me, Justin Toscano. You guys know him, Mets beat reporter for the record at Justin C. Toscano on Twitter. And Justin, welcome to the program. So St. Patty's Day is like that demarcation line. The long spring is coming to an end. You could see opening day right ahead. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. So, you know, now that, uh, you know, we're almost that opening day, uh, you know, do you have like an overall theme for the spring? You know, it's been an odd spring, Zoom all spring for you guys, not the same access. Um, what's been the overall theme of spring training? A lot different than I guess, definitely last year when it got shut down, but a lot different, I'm sure, than, than any other kind of reporting you've done in your short career here covering the Mets. Right. I think the uh, the theme would probably be a taste of normalcy is I think the best way I would put it is because you've got the, it's, it was nice to see real baseball. Like now I'm in New York city, but uh, back in Port St. Lucie, you know, you got like some of the backfield access. You couldn't go in the dugouts or on the fields, but it's like, um, like normal years, but you, you know, we got to see live baseball and, and drills and PFPs, you know, as much as God, I never thought I would miss, you know, PFPs and, and things like that. But we got to see, um, a lot of that stuff. So you're, you know, we were around it. So it was like a little bit of taste of normalcy, but like you said, just does it's all over zoom still. Uh, they had us on the concourse at Clover park cause they weren't allowed to put us in the press box there in the media room, just with uh, the regulations. Um, so a little bit of weirdness still to it, but I think the theme around the team, you know, remains like optimism. And I think, uh, you know, everybody there is going about their business as usual and, there is a lot of, you know, there were a lot of encouraging signs of spring. Certainly uh, the Steve Cohen era isn't, you know, as rosy as a lot of people would make it seem. There's still, you know, things this baseball team has to sort out. But uh, I think there is a lot of optimism, you know, with the players themselves and speaking just not for them, but maybe, you know, how they have seemed to feel about this just because I think uh, there is a lot of, optimism and, and almost a relaxed vibe because they know, you know, while the expectations are there, they know this ball club can, can do something special. If, if things click, things actually clicking is, as you know, is, is a completely different, you know, topic. Uh, and, and I think you make a great point because yeah, and things aren't as rosy as uh, maybe everybody's making it out to be. Look, Steve Cohen coming on November 1st, it's not a magic wand. But I think the fact that there's this new hope and and maybe the idea that even when things go bad, like what we'll get into, Carlos Carrasco injury, um, you know, right. there's an opportunity at some point this season to go out, augment the roster. There's extension talks still going on with Lindor and Conforto. These are things in the past that could not happen. Everything had to be in this very narrow window of opportunity. So I'm thinking that even with all the bad, you know, maybe the optimism is overblown to a certain degree, but it's the nature of the surrounding, uh, I guess, differences. Are there major differences with the new ownership that you see overtly other than the attitude and people just talking, you know, positively about it? Yeah, I do. I think um, back in the first week when we talked to Zach Scott, first week of spring training, the, when he was asked about, you know, the Lindor and Conforto extensions. And if it's possible to do both of those at the same time, because both players seem to have a deadline for getting those done in spring training. And Zach Scott was talking about how it is feasible because he did it in Boston, extending two guys at the same time. Um, and he, you know, he said it is possible. It is something, you know, anytime they have a player there that they like, that they want long-term, they can do that and they can do two at the same time. The difference in this ownership group though, is that you could see it, feasibly happening them extending both whereas you know the previous ownership probably you know doesn't go out and get Lindor in this type of deal because they're probably not going to be able to pay him what he's going to to demand so there's a lot of optimism there um the other thing I see that might be a little more behind the scenes is the dedication to the infrastructure I think is big um the Mets beefing up the R&D department uh analytics you know for those that those at home, those fans who may not know, you know, as much about R&D, but that's basically is uh, kind of like the plumbing of <laughs> an organization. And then the player development side, they've totally overhauled with uh, a lot of new hires um, and just the vision for that. I think there's better infrastructure now, you know, than there was. Um, and those, you know, those new people don't have a direct contextual comparison between the last ownership group and this one that, you know, a lot of them just came on but those are tangible differences I think the optimism is very warranted you know among fans like 
are they going to sign everybody? No, we, we saw that this winter, that there are still going to be misses. But by and large, I think the potential that this ownership group does have and, and you know, even going down to Sandy Alderson and Zach Scott, and, you know, and Sandy and Zach to do their jobs and to really improve this roster with noticeable strides and bolstering a lot of areas is a very realistic thing. I don't think you're going to have to pick between, you know, the, the Rick Porcellos and the Michael Walkers versus someone else. Now, I, I think, I think they're going to be, I think it's realistic to think they could improve this roster in multiple facets and in a lot of off seasons and, and go after aggressively go after the improvements that they think they need. Whereas um, I know a lot of fans, you know, felt that was a, a pipe dream under Wilpon ownership. So I do think it's, it's very real in a lot of these key areas. The, who knows by the time this hits the airwaves, uh, if extensions have been signed, there's some reports today that they're getting closer with Lindor Mets willing to go over the $300 million mark. Uh, Michael Conforto talked in the post game about potentially an extension with them. Uh, you know, the thing about this is um, it's interesting because these, in a way, Lindor is a bigger risk than Conforto. You know what you're getting with Conforto. He's got a history here in New York. Lindor, a better player. We have a history there. He's had a, I wouldn't say down years, but he hasn't been himself for maybe a year, year and a half. The pandemic seems season a bit of a washout. So I'm wondering if the Mets get a deal with some kind of discount. What I mean by that is, do they get a deal, even though it's $300 million, uh, closer to where they want to be versus Lindor, who obviously could go out in that market, maybe go to the Yankees, maybe drag another team. I know there's a ton of shortstops on the on the market. So I guess a two-part question. One, uh, do you think this is going to get done with these guys? And two, uh, would you be uh, surprised if they weren't more uh, team-friendly or middle-of-the-road deals to get these done? Not overpays, I guess, is where I think they go if these players sign before the season starts. Right. I think – I think um, Lindor, that one's tough to read because it's just like he would have, I I could see something getting done, but the issue I face there when I think about it is he would have, even with a heavy shortstop market, you know, next, well, I guess it would be this upcoming winter. um, He's still going to have so much leverage. I think with his track record and, and things he's done in the league and the way he's viewed, not only as a baseball player, but as a person, as a brand, which which matters in the sport, you know, for your clubhouse and the city and the fan base, things like that. I think he's got so much leverage that he could command kind of whatever they want. So if if he did sign, I don't know that it would be team friendly in the sense that, like, I think it would be fair, not not an overpay, but I don't think it would be too team friendly that it would it would raise our eyebrows just because I think this is a guy – on the Mets side, you know, he's got some leverage because, look, the Mets traded two major league shortstops for him and then a couple prospects who, you know, weren't throw-ins. I mean, those are pretty good prospects. And um, so I think the onus is on, you know, the Mets and Lindor's side might have leverage with that because the Mets almost need to extend him or this trade doesn't look so good, even though you have, you know, that extra year control with Carrasco. But I think it's, uh, you know, it looks kind of, kind of weird if the Mets don't extend him and then you go back looking at that trade. Now, of course you could go back to the heavy shortstop market. There's fallback options, you know, next winter, they could be in on one of those guys. And if anything doesn't work out, but I do think eventually something will get done with him. Maybe if it's not this spring, then, you know, re-signing him, you know, in the winter, I just think that he's so important of a player in their eyes to them with what they did give up in the trade and how they acquired him that, I think they're going to push to to keep him there and, and do really whatever it takes. Uh, Conforto, that one's that one's a wild card. Like you said, I mean, he's you know what you're getting with him, and I think they they've got a great idea of him already. But it's uh, you know, I mean, it would be fair of him to wonder what he would be getting on the open market, what his what his market would look like, um, especially with you know being one of the top outfielders in the market next year, maybe the top outfielder in the market next year, if I'm thinking correctly off the top of my head here. But um, that one, I would think Lindor is more likely to get done in spring training than Conforto, but I could see Lindor easily going to to free agency and playing his market because I do think he's got that leverage and, and the track record to be able to demand kind of what he wants, especially after Tatis got how much, you know, he did even before. And I know the years were higher on that one and they're buying out arbitration years. So um, it's a little bit of a different situation, but it, 
it's weird because at the beginning of spring training or even a couple weeks, you know, when they acquired Lindor, I thought it would be, you know, they'd for sure sign him to an extension. Now we've got, you know, essentially 10 days because he said he will not negotiate into the season. So they're getting pretty close around that deadline. It's uh, it's a tad surprising. It's, it's kind of taken this long to, to materialize a lot of these discussions. Carlos Carrasco uh, injures his hamstring. There was already some concern that he wasn't going to be ready for the season. Even before that, and I hate to be prophetic, I said about two weeks ago, uh, Marcus Stroman is so important to this rotation. He needs to be elite. He, 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 he opting out actually was a big reason why I think uh, the mojo of that team got thrown off last year. They still would have had issues, but uh, you know, really made that rotation thin. Now he's even more important. Not just because, you know, the Mets have depth. Right. We know they have Yamamoto, they have Lucchese, Peterson. Those aren't bad options. But the top end, can any of those guys be what Carrasco can be? The answer is probably not. So I think now, even more so than ever, Stroman being a very solid number two is so important. Because you just don't know when Carrasco's coming back. And you have to be careful. You can't rush him. You don't know what Syndergaard's going to give you. Everybody's penciling them in for who they are. And I believe they will be, but let's face it. Let's say around Memorial Day, uh, you don't want to rush these guys. You don't want them to make uh, you know rash decisions that could cause other injuries. So I think Stroman pitching well off the bat early is so important. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I mean, he's a guy that I even could have seen, even if Carrasco were healthy, entered camp on time, everything. I could have seen them putting Marcus Stroman in the, you know, the number two slot right behind DeGrom. I think he is so important to that rotation because you looked at it last year, David Peterson was the second most reliable starter on that team behind Jacob DeGrom. And, and now this year, like, yes, there, there's both things can be true. So thing number one is that there's good depth on this team, you know, Yamamoto, Lucchese, David Peterson. Thing two is that those guys aren't guys that should be in the top half of, you know, the top two, three of a contending team's rotation. And I think in a tough division like this, you know, you, you might start kind of squirming a little bit if Marcus Stroman doesn't get off to a hot start, you don't have Carrasco, and then you're looking at that same issue with you've got Jacob DeGrom and then everybody behind him. So Jacob DeGrom's that constant and everybody behind him in a pretty tough division. Um, like the Braves look good, had a good offseason. The Nationals did too. The Phillies look like they were going to have a disastrous offseason and actually somewhat, in my opinion, pieced it together better than sure. I thought they would. But, um, but yeah, no, Marcus Stroman pitching well, not only pitching well, but out of the gate, right out of the jump from the first turn of the rotation on is very important because now he's he is a number, good number two guy, but they need that top half of the rotation to hold serve just because you don't know when, you know, Carrasco is going to come back and uh, it's going to be – it, it, it's going to be, you know, you just have to hope that David Peterson is what, you know, he was to some extent last year and, and maybe takes a step up from that. You have to hope that Joey Lucchese is, you know, what he was and, and, and you know, in San Diego for that, that first year, he showed some upside there before they had him, you know, in the bullpen, the alternate site last year. Um, Jordan Yamamoto is a guy with some major league experience, but I think, I think the quality of this depth is a little bit overblown in the sense that, like, I think it is quality depth, but we're going to have to wait and see on a lot of these guys because we just don't we just don't know. Like, they don't have the track records of the Jacob DeGroms or the Carlos Carrascos or even the Marcus Strowmans. I mean, you're going to have to wait and see a little bit, which for me, it makes it even more important for Marcus Stroman to pitch well. I totally agree with you there. It's um, because you don't, we saw it last year, like a lot of question marks behind Jacob DeGrom. You don't want that this year. You can't afford that in 162 game season. This team specifically, I think needs to get off to a very good start. Justin Toscano joining me at Justin C. Toscano on Twitter, Mets beat reporter for the record. Uh, before the Carrasco injury, I had said that I believe two out of those three names that you mentioned, Lucchese, Peterson, Yamamoto, would, would, would make it, um, and then potentially one would go down. And, you know, initially I thought Peterson might be in a little bit of trouble. I mean, Yamamoto's looked good this spring. Lucchese is the only one that's had a 30-start sample in the big league so you know he's got that veteran uh you know out of those three is a veteran and Yamamoto I mean let's I the more I read about him it's peculiar that Miami let him go because 
he was a decent prospect. He was a top 10 prospect for Milwaukee. He was right. in the Yelich trade. He was a top 10 prospect for the Marlins. Obviously had a bad year last year. And and now with Carrasco out, I wonder if all three will make it. Because I thought the guy that doesn't make it, let him go to Syracuse, let him stretch out, let him make his start every fifth day, because you're going to need him. Need him sooner rather than later. But now you're wondering with Peterson pretty much locking himself in, which was a, a little bit of a surprise to me that Roas said, well, he's the fourth starter. Now you've got Yamamoto Lucchese. Now it's more like, okay, which one of those guys can be a swing man out of the bullpen? And and I guess that might be more Lucchese than Yamamoto, but it's interesting because I didn't, it looks like what I thought was going to be the right way to go is completely the opposite direction the Mets are taking now. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've seen it, you know, I remember seeing a couple of your tweets about that. I don't think, like, I think they're both good options with which way to go. But I thought that, I thought personally, and whether this is right, I don't know. But, like, I thought David Peterson had a leg up all along because of that prior experience in 2020. So you're thinking, like, from a human perspective and coaches about, you know, an organization evaluating these guys, you're going to look at, and Luis Rojas said it yesterday, exactly what I thought all along is, like, the stuff as we've seen it is what it was in 2020. And that stuff in 2020 played at the big league level. So essentially what he's saying is, why would it not play this year? You know, why would he not? So it it was almost to me like David Peterson was going to have to pitch his way out of a rotation spot. Like, obviously they told him he was going to need to compete, but I thought that he, you know, if he had a good spring, decent spring, he was in it. But yeah, you know, you go, you could go the other way and just be, you know, he didn't have a start in triple a only had you know a handful in double a so if he had more seasoning that you know might help him out but now you know i, I think he's a guy that belongs in rotation now yamamoto lucchese you look at i think personally i was very wrong uh, a few weeks back when i thought that sam mcwilliams was going to be their last spot in the bullpen i thought they liked the stuff i thought i was like okay that fastball you know mid 90, you know, high 90, mid 90s, high 90s, maybe creeps up that velocity and the rise can maybe play. Um, but, you know, he gets option. Now you're looking at guys who could be swingmen. Like, well, they have a long man in the pen, a guy like that. And I think, you know, I think the guy who loses out on that fifth starter spot could realistically be in the bullpen. Now they do have an off day right off the bat and then another one right in the middle of their home opener. But it's going to be interesting to see how they structure it because I think it's a toss up. Lucchese's got more experience. Yamamoto's got some upside though, and his pitch very well during spring. And the thing with Yamamoto is I feel, I guess you could probably say this about Lucchese, but I, I think Yamamoto has gotten a lot more crisp as the spring has gone on and his stuff has looked a lot better. Uh, so let's just say I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be the one making the decision there. And the thing that's interesting is that as you go into the bullpen, you know, now Drew Smith, is out. He's injured. Gazelman, you know, to me, Gazelman has been one of the biggest disappointments the last five years, a guy that was huge in 2016 in the rotation, thought he'd be a guy that could at least be a good back end of the rotation starter. Hasn't been good there. Hasn't been good out of the bullpen. And it what exacerbates it a little bit um, is that there's a lot of agita amongst fans anyway, about Patances and Familia. And with Castro pitching well, I think that's going to be maybe a little less, you hope Lugo comes back. You have Luke, May, Diaz looks good. But Batances and Familia are going to need to get big outs at some point, either early in the game as the sixth inning guy or, you know, can't pitch the same guys every day. They're going to need to get outs. Batances has not looked like a big league pitcher uh, at times, even though he got a clean inning today. Uh, Familia, what's interesting, and, and a lot of people have said, he throws hard. The stuff looks like it's there. He can't command anything or control depending on how they look at it. Um, those guys are perplexing. They make a lot of money. Uh, I don't think they're just going to dump them. I think they're going to give them every opportunity to succeed. And and I personally don't think it's because of money. I think it's because of the name, their name on the back of the jersey. Uh, what about those two guys? Because they are ones that are going to become a – they start blowing games, you're going to see a big topic of conversation amongst at least the fans. Uh, like, hey, you know, these guys are a problem. Let's move on. Uh, but now with Drew Smith out uh, and maybe some of the younger guys not being ready, this team has not developed much bullpen uh, pitching. Uh, you may need them. Yeah, I think it's um, the bullpen coming in. I saw as like a high risk, high reward unit. I think if those guys, <laughs> it's funny how it works out because they were the keys all along, right? Because you may be factored in, okay, you know, Edwin Diaz is going to have to stay in his, his top form like he was in 2020. 
But coming into camp, you like Batanzas and Familia were the X factors, the ones you looked at that you said, okay, if these guys are great, this bullpen's probably going to be great. If these guys aren't great, this unit might be in trouble. And I think it's shaped out that way in camp where you see like they've had ebbs and flows. Um, b- both of them. I mean, you know, Batanzas pitched a clean inning today, but, uh, you know, it's like always questions about his velocity. And like sometimes his stuff hasn't looked great, but you're right. I mean, it's partially because of the contracts and, and the, that they're veterans, like they're going to give them every opportunity. But I mean, man, you're going to be living and dying with it. If those two aren't good, it's going to be tough on some nights, you know, on, on the road or getting neat outs in the sixth, seventh, eighth, you know, inning, even, you know, even into the ninth or, or things happen. Um, and at this point, I mean, I hate to say it, you hope everybody stays healthy, but you're, you know, they've got Lugo out already. What's to say there isn't another injury and, and things like that, that stress bullpen depth. They're going to, Batances and Familiar are going to need to be good and better than they've been. Uh, and I think it's really been surprising for fans. It's been surprising for me too, that Batances just really hasn't been what he was since, you know, that 2018 season and, you know, in the Bronx. And I think, uh, Familia might be a little bit of a different case. He's got high expectations because of what he gets paid. But I mean, did you like, I don't really know many people who looked at that deal when, when Brody signed him and, and thought that it was like a tremendous deal. Or I think Batances is the more puzzling one to me because that's a guy who, yeah, he had the injured injury filled 2019, but that's a guy who was coming out. He's four time all-star. I believe he was coming off a great tenure in the Bronx and he's, hailed as you know a great signing because that's what it looked to be and and he's just he's been flat he hasn't been himself at all and I think if those two don't pitch well it's it's going to be tough and you don't want to put extra stress on your your better arms like Diaz and May and Castro that said maybe you can withstand a little bit of Batances and Familia kind of shaking a little bit there in the beginning because Miguel Castro has pitched so well, because, you know, you've got Trevor May, who looks like he will be a good addition because Edwin Diaz has been lights out um, and you hope he continues that. And uh, yeah, it's those two are high risk, though, for me. I mean, he, it's going to be tough because they haven't built any depth, you know, now with Drew Smith out um, due to injury. We don't know his timeline, Sam McWilliams being optioned. Uh, Gaselman, like you said, I mean, I think, I think he might almost be on his last straw with them because it's like he's had pretty much every opportunity uh, to succeed. Now, the thing with him that you could say is that I know he's been thrown in different roles and kind of yanked from the rotation, brought back from the bullpen, things like that. But it's uh, the bullpen overall is high risk, high reward. And I think the main keys to that are potentials with Familia. I always like to ask those that cover the team during spring What's your biggest surprise this spring? What's your biggest disappointment? Doesn't have to be something overt. It could be something, you know, minor league fields. You know, you're making your way around the complex. You went into spring with some things that you were looking for. Now we're in the back half. So what is, and maybe it's still developing a little bit. What's your biggest surprise? What's your biggest disappointment of this team so far? Biggest surprise. Okay. Biggest surprise is Luis Guillorme. I think, um, Personally, like the eye test, I mean, I've only covered the team since 2019, so I wasn't here for most of his prospect, you know, time, time in the minors. But the eye test to me has always said said he's good. But um, I had thought he was he was pretty underrated. And then, you know, it still feels like that. But this this spring, he seems to be making every play. And I'm not just talking about the 22 pitch walk, but every play defensively to the point where you start to wonder if this guy should be in the lineup when Marcus Stroman pitches and, and get a ground, you know, a guy like that for defensive purposes, he's made every play to the point where if there's a DH, maybe JD Davis isn't starting at third and, and maybe they, they tinker with that a little more. So he's been my biggest pleasant surprise because I think a lot of people believe that 2020, yes, it was a small sample size, but maybe it was a little bit of a flash in the pan for Guillaume. But I think he's done nothing but carried that um, on. He's shown he can make every play on defense. I think his at-bats have been very good for a guy who isn't known for for the batty swings. I think his at-bats have actually been very good and and tough at-bats. Biggest disappointment to me, we've seen all the depth. Like, I've I've been encouraged by what 
Pilar has shown, what Almora Almora has shown something better than than what I thought he would early, you know, in camp. And um, biggest disappointment to me would have to be VR. That was a guy I thought. Um, I mean, now he could come around. The Mets do think he's going to come around. They've they've been patient with him. He's he's a veteran guy, a guy who's I think is twenty nine years old. But that's a guy who I saw as as you know, like Yorme would have been a solid backup infielder. I thought coming into camp, but you know now that you signed VR, he can play multiple positions. That's a very good guy to have if somebody is getting a day of rest or if somebody is injured. And that's a guy VR you thought could start on on some of the bad teams in the league and, and still have a starting spot, and he's shown us really nothing he can. And I think um, they knew they were going to have to play him more at third and get him more reps. It would take time, but he hasn't been too great there. He he hasn't really shown anything since that home run early on, you know, at the plate. And I think that's been really disappointing to me so far because except for that, I think they really bolster their depth and. Heck, he could come around and just have a great year, but it's been disappointing that he really hasn't shown much in camp considering he's a veteran guy with a lot of starting experience. You mentioned, and, and before we wrap up, uh, you mentioned Guillermo and J.D. Davis. I feel like everybody's waiting for J.D. Davis to fail in some ways, the fans, things like that. And uh, I like J.D. J.D. had a great second half. I, I think you hit, hit the nail on the head with Guillermo. Maybe there's there's opportunities to spot him against the right pitchers. Um, but I feel like all winter, well, who's going to replace J.D. Davis? J.D. Davis was an elite hitter in the second half. And, you know, everybody loved the Justin Turner rumors. He's not that, from a defensive metric standpoint, he's not that much worse than Justin Turner. Um, I'd be careful about giving away J.D. Davis. So uh, before we wrap up, uh, you know, are we we overlooking as a fan base, maybe maybe the media a little bit, overlooking J.D. Davis? I think so. And I... I, you know, full disclosure, I think he's a great guy, like always a nice guy, always accountable for, you know, his mistakes, always there to when he, you know, doesn't play well, always been nice to, to everybody, at least from what I've seen in the club, among the media circle. Um, I think he is overlooked a little bit because I think um, at a you can go metrics, and I certainly use those too, but the metrics say he plays a worse third base than my eyes tell me, and maybe my eyes deceive me, but I think... I think a big thing is like, yes, his lateral quickness and athleticism needs to get a lot better. So he's got a little more of that range going, you know, left and right and can make those plays a little more fluidly. Um, and sometimes his arm, strong as it is, gets him into trouble a little bit. But I think he's more adequate than a lot of people like to think. Because, look, he's if you're talking about the Justin Turner rumors, I mean, J.D. Davis is a guy who former GM Jared Porter said, you know, is still in the developmental stage. This is a guy who could still take a jump defensively, could still figure something out like that. And he's, you know, he's got the potential to be a pretty elite bat and he's always had that bat. Um, but I think he is a little bit overlooked because look, it's like, we, we feel, we figure that, you know, third base is his natural position. You know, he didn't play a lot of left field so he was getting the flack for left field and he should be perfect at third base right but it's a guy who he was behind Matt Chapman in college so he didn't he didn't really play a lot of you know third base in college and like so he hasn't gotten a ton of those reps and then when he gets up in Houston he's sitting behind Bregman and Correa and the other infielders like that and so I think I think he's a guy that could could be a little bit of a late bloomer and give you something better defensively I think he is a little bit overlooked because look like Chris Bryant tremendous you know Matt Chapman tremendous um but I just think J.D. Davis is a lot uh, he's he's too adequate to be constantly thrown and you know in these trade rumors I think it was much more important to get stronger up the middle with a catcher and then somebody like Lindor than it was you know for for third base and even a center fielder like than it was for third base and that was my thought all along because I think J.D. Davis's defense is more adequate than a lot of people give it credit for so just especially uh... considering his bat so, Justin, as we wrap up, uh, what do you got coming up? We could see opening day, the lights at the end of the tunnel. Warm weather is here in New York. Uh, the snow is a little bit still. We still see uh, some patches of ice, at least out by me on Long Island. But opening day will really? be in two weeks. Yeah, opening day will be in two weeks. What do you got coming up uh, as we head into opening day? What do you got going on at the record? Yeah, just more preview coverage. Um, hopefully get to touch on all the positions. Uh, Maybe a couple of stories here and there, too much. But, um, yeah, just stay tuned, subscribe, all that stuff. Find me on Twitter. Um, 
And yeah, we'll keep it. We'll keep it rolling. It feels good, my friend. To uh, like you said, light at the end of the tunnel. Like I was happy to do the job last season, but this year's got a different feel. Like it feels like we're playing a real baseball season. That's something yep. uh, I think you know. Not not really going to take for granted. And you were a 2019 call up on May 1st, so this is your first full season. If people want to know, Justin did not start till the end of April. So this technically, is- you you don't have a you didn't get your you're not a super two. You had you know you got called up May 1st. They held you back for that extra year of eligibility, you know, think about that. So <laughs> I, I know it's like, it's almost like COVID COVID manipulated my service time uh, <laughs> like that. And it's uh, yeah, everybody, some people are like, Oh, this is year three for you. And I'm like, not I really. Mean, God, it doesn't, it feels like year one point, you know, one and one and a third maybe. But uh, yeah, if yeah. that, you know, like I still haven't gotten a full year. So yeah, first full season, uh, even first time covering it from spring training through. Cause that was, postponed yep. last year so it's um yeah yeah it should be fun there's light at the end of the tunnel like you said warm weather i mean man you, i was getting warm out there in new york this weekend and it's uh better times on the horizon my friend all right justin have a good rest of the night thanks so much for joining me and uh, we'll catch up uh, again all right my friend of course anytime thanks for having me all right be well and that's Justin Toscano of the record at Justin C. Toscano on Twitter. Interesting stuff. Uh, he just came back to New York. I know they had him down in Port St. Lucie and like all their papers they're trying to do is manage their budget. So he's sometimes uh, covering the team remotely, just like all, any of us. Uh, and I know how much challenge, how much, how much challenge that creates, how challenging it is for these guys. And Justin does a great job. He interacts on Twitter. He's one of the good guys. He's one of the guys that we like to follow. We like to interact with and gives a very fair and and real view of the team. All right, let's take a quick break and then wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, final thoughts. I want to thank everybody for tuning into this edition of the podcast. So what's next? Uh, Working on uh, some – this is the time of the year where you get a lot of new books coming out. There's an interesting book coming out. I I don't want to really tease it until I finalize the guest, but hoping to get into a really cool new Mets book that will – We'll preview. Always trying to get fun and new and interesting guests. We are going to do a season preview, so I'm trying to figure that out. We only have a couple of shows before spring training, and then uh, the regular season will start. I know the first regular season weekend is Easter, so the plan would be to have our next show. And and I have a feeling with this extension talk that we're going to be joining a, a special edition of the podcast in the middle of the week. I just got that gut. My fear is that like when this happened with Jacob deGrom, I finished the show. And the minute I finish the show, upload it, I'm driving, and, and here you go, the Grom news comes out. So you basically trash the show. But I think this this program could last a little bit because even if the extensions come out, we talked a little bit about it. There's some relevant conversation. But we really got into the team and, and how we look at the team. But you know, ultimately, this year, as we get really – as spring training now develops towards the end, the pitching is going to be such a big conversation. And you're already seeing that play out. And how you handle the bullpen, and how the staff is is managed, and how they go about those back end of the rotation starters, how they handle injuries, be very interesting because it's probably going to be different than the way I like it. I like your traditional starter. I like traditional bullpen. You know, I'm okay with roles being defined by leverage, not by inning. The the game has evolved. I'm fine with that. But right now, uh, you're going to need in some cases especially from potentially three, four, and five. Similar to last year, you may need to start looking at the bullpen after the fifth inning, maybe earlier, and that can be problematic. So it's really going to be interesting how that plays out. I'm not a fan of the opener, and I hope they don't go that route, but that's another story for another day. So uh, a lot to continue to get to. It'll be very interesting. Hopefully no more Thunderbolts, no more injuries. And, uh, you know, that first weekend of the regular season 
being that it's Easter, we'll probably do the replay show midweek right before the season or that Sunday, probably that Sunday, right? Uh, I'm trying to think, well, that would be next Sunday. So I have to figure out how we're going to do it. So just stay tuned. We definitely have a show coming up next Sunday. I have a feeling we're going to have an extension show one way or the other, somewhere like a breaking news show. Then the season starts. So that first Sunday of the season, short of big news, we'll take off for Easter, and then we'll be back at it uh, right after. I know Passover is coming up. So, you know, for those who celebrate, happy Passover. I know Easter is coming up. So, uh, you know, time to really get together with your families. And, and guess what? The grind starts very soon. And you'll be with me. I'll be here every week. And uh, the quest begins. The story begins. And we'll see where that brings us every year. The best laid plans, as they say, they never, I mean, even think about the beginning of the offseason, the best laid plans of the Steve Cohen era, and and Justin Toscano said it, it's not as positive as everybody makes it out to be because there's been a lot of crap that's happened. And the Mets have navigated it as well as they could, but it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, what comes next. All right, I want to thank Justin Toscano. Check out his work at The Record. The Record is a great publication. Also, Bob Klappish is over there. Great stuff over at The Record. You can check out Justin on Twitter, at Justin C. Toscano. Of course, you can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet, at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. Go to manscaped.com. I had to get that one in there. All right, you can go out to Mike Silva Media, at Mike Silva Media on Twitter, hammer away at me. Looking forward to it. Be well, and see you next week, everybody. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.